If you are able, would you please stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word? It comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 13 and forward, a post-resurrection account. It's a little lengthy, but turn on your imaginations and experience this powerful story. Hear the word of the Lord. Now that same day, that is the same day of the resurrection, two of them, the closest followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up, but but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you all discussing together as you walk along? (laughs) They stood still and their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Well, what things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our own women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, pandemic's been heavy. It's been hard. We've had two years of death and struggle, so absolutely 
I appreciate the heaviness, but you got to keep laughing. You got to find the humorous moments. And about two years ago, there was a pretty humorous moment related to pandemic. Denmark, who knew, is the largest producers of mink, that fur like a ferret, you know, a mink coat. Well, a headline appeared in the Guardian newspaper. And the headline in November of 2020 on the 25th said, Mink rise from the dead to Denmark's horror. Mink rise from the dead to Denmark's horror. Journalist Jen, John Henley writes, dead mink were rising from their graves in Denmark after a very rushed eradication of mink over fears of a coronavirus mutation that led thousands of them to be slaughtered and buried in shallow pits. Apparently, there was some concern that the mink were carrying the disease, and so we got to get rid of them. 17 million mink were killed. And then whoever was in charge of the bearing didn't do such a great job, only put them a few feet under, and who knew when bodies decomposed, the gases brought them up and out of the ground. <laughs> the leader of the Danish water board a woman named Susan Munster said, it seems like no one really knows the consequences of this. I must confess, I find it worrying. <laughs> Someone put on Twitter, run, the mink are coming for you. <laughs> All over the internet, there were hashtags, zombie mink and zombie mink apocalypse. Gotta find the humor, right? Well, that journalist, those Tweeters, is that the right word? Those tweeters, I guess. They knew what they were doing. Oh, they knew headlines, those kind of hashtags. It, it gets your attention. It, it makes you stop. It makes you think, okay, what's going on here? Anthropologists say that every human culture has this weird relationship with death and dead people. A sort of fascination. An expectation that the dead might arise, and is that a good thing? Or is that a bad thing? It's a bad thing if the zombies are on the way to get us. Now, most of you perhaps are Christ followers. You, you've confessed faith in the Lord. And maybe if you're not quite there yet, I mean, growing up in Western culture, Easter is very well known. This Christian belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And a lot of us, Easter in, Easter out, we focus on our seersucker more so than the risen Lord. And it kind of, Easter can become a little rote. The resurrection can kind of lose the, the shock and the awe of the moment. We get very comfortable with a risen Jesus. And look at these two travelers to Emmaus. The text says that they literally stood still. They stopped walking. They were so shocked that this unbeknownst person hadn't heard the news. I think about after 9-11 happened, or maybe you were there when JFK was assassinated. Not there, but living. And in those immediate 24, 48, 72 hours, like that's all you talk about. At the water cooler, when you meet new people, I mean, that is such a dramatic shock and all kind of event. That's all folks can talk about. And so these two travelers are surprised, but, but also recognize what sort of word and rumor or truth had swept through Jerusalem? 
if everybody was talking about it to the degree that these two stop and wonder, where have you been? Their gospel sharing later when they're in the room with the disciples, and I'm sure for the rest of their life, never lost that that shock and that awe. Their gospel sharing forever was touched and different. Now, I am very intentionally using that phrase, gospel sharing. Say it with me. Gospel sharing. That was horrible. Say it again. Gospel sharing. Y'all did great, Christ school kids. The rest of them, eh. Gospel sharing. Now, you've heard us up here talk about how, as a church, for the last four years, we're moving from a ministry model, an attractional ministry model, to a missional model. We're moving from this approach to where, bring them here, bring them here, bring them here, to now equipping you to be out there. And in order for that to succeed, we have to double down on gospel sharing. We have to double down on discipleship, being equipped and ready. The five building blocks of what any Christ follower should know and go after, which our session is really focusing on, are the biblical narrative, got into the story, identity and idolatry, that we've got an identity in Christ and we get distracted a lot by idols, giftedness, missional living in our families, neighborhoods, and vocation, and then fifth, gospel sharing. But the problem is, we're Presbyterians. <laughs> and we're not so known in the Christian world for our great gospel sharing, right? Oh, we've got great universities. You see the books in my office, but sharing our faith is something with which we struggle. We're not so good at gospel sharing. But what I wanna do is pull a little WWJD. Remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do, right? So let's look at this text and I wanna tell you, da, 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 flashing lights, the five methods for gospel sharing. Are you ready? Get your pens out, get your Bibles, and I want you to write down these. Number one, engage with open curiosity. The first of the five methods for gospel sharing. Engage with curiosity. In verse 17, Jesus says, well, what you talking about? He's hungry. He's curious. Verse 19, well, well, what things? Come on, people. We know he knows, but he's asking and opening up with curiosity. Number two, leave room for others to share. Leave room. I struggle with this one because I think I know all the answers. Jesus leaves room, and what does he learn? He learns that they thought at this point Jesus was just a prophet and not Messiah. Look there in verse 19, where they acknowledge, yeah, he was a prophet. The Old Testament's full of them. Israel expected prophets to come along every so often, but there would only be one Messiah. And they say there in verse 21, but he did not redeem Israel. That's what Meshua the Savior was to do is to bring redemption to Israel by leaving room for others to share. They also learned that they called the women our women, meaning in our social circle, and that they came to us. So we realized these two travelers, not the disciples, but they were on the inner circle, in the room perhaps when the Lord's Supper was taking place. They're certainly in the room later, When Jesus shows back up, they're in the inner core. 
So they realize <clears throat> this is known because Jesus gives them room to share. Number three, if number one is engage with curiosity, number two, leave room for others to share, number three is to call people foolish and dumb. <laughs> oh, well, maybe that's why we're not good at it. <laughs> no. Verse 25, isn't it interesting? Jesus, meek and mild, says, How foolish of you and slow of heart. Okay, so I, I wouldn't recommend you tell non-believers that they're foolish and dumb. I, I think maybe a larger lesson here is Jesus names the truth. You know, let's name it a little softer. He is Jesus, he can do it the way he wants to. But we're, we hold back a lot of times, and maybe sometimes we just need to be willing and comfortable to name the truth. All right, the five methods for gospel sharing, engage with curiosity, leave room to share, name the truth. Number four, you gotta know the greater story of God. Look what it says, how Jesus begins in verse 27 with the Moses, Moses and the prophets and explains to them all that was said about himself. Man, I wish I had that talk. Wouldn't that be a great pamphlet? Something to study. You know, which verses did he pick out and dwell on? I mean, it says all, so he, <laughs> that's a long conversation. There are dozens and dozens and dozens. If you're on our link through the QR code, you'll find discussion questions about today's sermon. I've included a link that goes to a website, and you can see the dozens and dozens and dozens of Old Testament passages and their New Testament fulfillment. Here, I'll give you a few. Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, that the Messiah would appear in Galilee and be a light to the Gentiles. It happens in Matthew 4 and Luke 2. Isaiah 53 talks about the Messiah being rejected. We see it articulated in Matthew 27 and more. Psalm 22.6, the Messiah would be despised, comes about in Luke 23. Zechariah 9.9, 9, the, the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey, and it comes to fulfillment in Matthew 21. Tim Keller says one of the greatest helps for a non-believer is to help them see how the Old Testament connects and relates to the New, because it flies in the face of that cultural lie that Christianity has co-opted Judaism or twisted it and messed it up. No, they are deeply intertwined as we are a continuation of Israel. So the fifth and final, friends, don't worry, I won't leave you hanging, methods for gospel sharing, engage with curiosity, leave room for others, name the truth, know the greater story of God. And number five, Tanner Fox's favorite, feasting together, <laughs> having a meal, Enjoying life as you enjoy mm, ambrosia, a big fat filet. Mm, mm, mm. Y'all are thinking, let me out of here to lunch. <laughs> Feasting. Isn't it true that all of our big holidays rally around a meal? Because there's just something about the table where people will drop their guard a little bit more, hopefully. You've got the space to share your story, the space to get to know one another and be known. I love this. It's kind of funny to me in verse 30. They sit down and what happens? Jesus took the bread. Well, that's a little presumptuous. Jesus, usually your host would start, right? Well, Jesus just picks the sucker right up and then he breaks it and boom, they recognize him. Now I wonder, did they recognize him because 
They were in the room during the Last Supper just a few days before this. And when he does this motion, that image mentally just comes back and they realize. Or, or maybe he turns his hands and they saw the scars where the nails had been and go, <gasps> feasting together, friends. Okay, so you've got the five methods to gospel sharing. Mm. As a woman writes, her name is, oh, where is that? Rebecca Pippert says, Christians and non-Christians have something in common. They're both uptight when it comes to evangelism. Because, thanks for the method case, but we're not going to do that. (laughs) I mean, Let's be honest, right? Most of us in this room, or at least within the sound of my voice, there's a few stars of those of you out there. I I know who you are. But on the whole, like, (sighs) gospel sharing? I mean, there's very few people that are curious anymore. The internet's made us all experts, right? And leaving room for somebody else to, you know, I've I've already got it ready to fire, and so I I don't need to leave much room. Naming the truth? Mm. Well, such a divided, split world. Everybody's got their own truth now, and it just goes back and forth. And frankly, we're so scared of political correctness and cancel culture. I'm not going there. The story of God? Friends, biblical illiteracy is the plague of the 21st century church. We love to be biblically based, but do we really know what the basis is on? And then feasting together, well, who has time for that? Oh, we'll do a barbecue of sorts with really close friends, but we're there because we want friends. Making room in my life for somebody that doesn't know the gospel and hopes that they might, well, (laughs) that's really asking a lot of me. Friends, the bottom line is, You can have all the methods in the world with gospel sharing. But if the Lord's not in it, it ain't gonna work. It's not that you can learn the certain dance steps and see a beautiful tango unfold. It doesn't work that way. And frankly, we get so much anxiety and our palms get sweaty that we just wanna avoid the whole thing. But if God is in it, well, Jesus even says in Matthew 19 that with God, all things are possible. Oh, okay, so if God's in it, I mean, I can do this. I can actually fulfill one of the most basic expectations of a Christ follower is to share the gospel. If I'm a Christian and I'm just going to sit on it, well, then I'm not really being all in who God needs and wants me to be because he's on a mission of redemption and restoration. And I don't want to get left behind as that mission marches forward. So if it's a divine encounter, gospel sharing is a divine initiative and experience. So friends, yes, sometimes we need help with methods and structure and understanding, but Jesus has to be in it and with you 
And we've got to keep pointing to him. Gospel sharing works when it's in him and with him and pointing to him. Gospel sharing works when it's in him, with him, and pointing to him. Let's see how the text helps us in this. In Acts 17, 28, Paul says, for in him, that's in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Okay, we live and move and have our being. Our very essence, our ontology is different when we're Christ followers. The scriptures say that we are a temple for the Holy Spirit. So when you confess faith in Christ and profess him with your lips, the Holy Spirit literally comes into your flesh and it's, you're different than the rest of the world. And so everywhere you go, you are living in him and moving in him and your being far precedes any gospel sharing you may do with your mouth when you get with somebody. Who you are living in him as a father and a mother is your witness. Who you are as a man or a woman or a spouse, who you are as a parent, who you are in your work as an engineer, as a CPA, as a plumber, as a nurse, as a stay-at-home parent, who you are in him far proceeds and is the basis of your gospel sharing. I mean, who here wants to hear the gospel from someone that's kind of half in and half out? Or stumbling and not repentant. Oh, stumbling is real. We all do it. But are we repentant to allow the fullness of the gospel to unfold in us? Friends, it's when we are in him in all of life that gospel sharing becomes so different. Anthony Hokema says this, being a citizen of the kingdom, therefore, means that we should see all of life and all of reality in light of the goal of the redemption of the cosmos. This implies, as Abraham Kuyper once said, that there is not a thumbbreadth of the universe about which Christ does not say, it is mine. This implies a Christian philosophy of history. All of history must be seen as the working out of God's eternal purpose. This kingdom vision includes a Christian philosophy of culture. Art and science reflect the glory of God and they therefore are to be pursued for his praise. It also includes a Christian view of vocation all callings are from God, and all that we do in everyday life is to be done to God's praise, whether this be study, teaching, preaching, business, industry, or housework. That's why we have art fellows to help artists in all that they do under the glory of God. And that's why we have a partnership in education that all we do is in him and under the glory of God. So do a little bit of self-assessment. Where are you living in him in a healthy way? And then, and then where could it be more in him in a, in a beautiful and effective way? In him as our witness, being in him with our worldview. Friends, being in him with our politics. And not that there's a right party or a wrong party, a left party or a right party, but that you approach your citizenship because of your biblical convictions and having been led by the Holy Spirit, that we are in him in our marriages, in our parenting, in our family lives, our vocations. Dorothy Day once said, we should live in such a way that our lives wouldn't make much sense if the gospel were not true. 
Gospel sharing begins when we're in him. Second, with him. If we are with him. Now notice where they recognize Jesus. It's when they're with him, sure along this journey, but like I said, at the table. Such a a beautiful moment of, of, of hospitality, of when we make the room for relationship and conversation and are able to do that gospel sharing. But, but remember now, we're, we're not worried about methods. I, I want to turn this equation around and what does our dining and feasting with God look like? Not when we're with the non-believer over a meal, but are you and I regularly feasting with the Lord? in such a way that he is filling us. Feasting with the Lord in regular patterns daily, several times a week, where we take the phone and turn it off, where we say, friends and family, I love you, I need some space, where we say, work life, the to-do list can wait, and we build an intimacy with the Father. Because friends, when you have that, gospel sharing so easy. You've got so much to talk about. <laughs> the Lord taught me this, and he's taught me that, and he's shown me this. It is a natural, authentic reflection on who and what you are doing because you're with him. About 18 months ago, I went on my first solitude retreat. I got to do another one this past February. And I rekindled an intimacy with God that I had long forgotten and gotten away from. And to have that regular time to be in his presence, to, as Brent Allen likes to say, crawl up in the lap of the Father and to be reminded I love you. You are a child of God, whatever they may say. I've got a call in your life, a chance for me to to confess and go, I screwed that up, and to know God's grace in an existential, intimate, powerful way. Because friends, when we are with him, Mm. gospel sharing is secondhand and so very easy. And finally, friends, gospel sharing is always pointing to him, always pointing to Jesus, not to ourselves, not to doctrine. Hey, we need doctrine, but pointing to him. Now, you might think, well, case is kind of obvious, right? Uh, gospel, good news. The good news is about Jesus coming for our sin. But what's so interesting about that in this passage? Look how in verse 16, Luke tells us that the two travelers were kept, they were held back from recognizing Jesus for who he is. I mean, that, that really annoys me. Like, why? What, what's the point? There's two other post-resurrection 
moments where Jesus is incognito and unrecognized. It doesn't necessarily say in those that they were kept, they were held back. Well, maybe it's as Leon Morris writes, perhaps Luke wants us to gather that we cannot see the risen Christ, although he be walking with us, unless he wills to disclose himself. Friends, all we have to do is point to Jesus and let God do the awakening. Let God do the converting. Our gospel sharing is not about us arguing and debating in an nth degree or shaming or guilting. But our gospel sharing is to point to Jesus in love and let God do the rest. He is the one that does the converting. We are to point to Jesus. I close with a story in my life of a good buddy in college who came to know the Lord. God used me in a very interesting way, and I don't share this to point to me, but to demonstrate how pointing to Jesus. So one day my friend says to me, Case, how do I be saved? How do I get saved? What What does being saved mean? I thought, oh my goodness, how often do you get asked that question? Wouldn't it be great if non-believers asked you that all the time? Home run. But a little bit of the backstory, he really didn't want to know so much about getting saved. He had tried to ask out this Baptist girl, and she said, I don't date anybody who's not saved. <laughs> Interesting part of the story is I later ended up dating her, but um, yeah, they never did, but I got to go with it with a girl. Um, but forget that. So I try to share the gospel with him, and he's interested, he's curious, question, question. We had already had a pretty good friendship. It only went deeper, and it was coming up to a Promise Keepers weekend. You may remember the men's ministry that would fill stadiums with men to be discipled and inspired. And I committed to fast and pray for his salvation over those three days. And the guys I was with, I invited them to do the same. And my friend came to the point and confessed faith in Christ. And his life has gone a different, different path. But I, I couldn't force it. I couldn't make it. But on his behalf and my gospel sharing, all I had to do was keep staying in Jesus and with Jesus and pointing, pointing to Jesus and knowing he'll do the rest. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for how you call us to live all of our lives in every role that we fulfill and every activity that we will do to live them in you and under your glory. Lord, we're grateful that you invite us and long for us and want us to spend intimate time with you in prayer knowing your goodness and grace, reaffirming our identity in you and where you would have us to go in your name. And Lord, remind us that we just have to point to you and how you show up and do the rest. Be with us this day as we leave this place, faithfully serving after you.